Trigger warning, the Resilience Project provides an open space for people to share their personal experiences. Some content in this podcast may include topics that you may find difficult. The listener's discretion is advised. Hello, friends. Welcome to Radical Resilience, a weekly show where I, Blair Kaplan Venables, have inspirational conversations with people who have survived life's most challenging times. We all have the ability to be resilient and bounce forward from a difficult experience. And these conversations prove just that. Get ready to dive into these life-changing moments while strengthening your resilience muscle and getting raw and real. Welcome back to another episode of Radical Resilience. I have a fellow Winnipegger here with me today. John Waldman is a Winnipeg-based writer and five-time author. His most recent book, Swimming Aimlessly, discussed his family's six-year infertility journey before having a daughter in 2015. John has spoken about his struggles, the struggles men have with infertility at TEDx and the United Kingdom's National Infertility Awareness Week and been interviewed by the CBC, the BBC, CTV, Global Television, and HuffPost, among others. He has written about the subject as well as for the Globe and Mail and The Telegraph. John's work has also appeared in the Winnipeg Free Press, the National Hockey News, and the Toronto Sun. And not only is this the first time John and I are actually talking, you know, voice to voice, but it's funny because, you know, I'm from Winnipeg, I don't live here anymore, but it's such a small world. And his wife, is um, the sister of someone I grew up with. And in fact, his, uh, his brother-in-law ripped the Barbie doll head off my Barbie when I was in like junior kindergarten. And like, Jesse, <laughs> I totally forgive you. But it's just like, it's funny because like we grew up in high school, we were all friends. <laughs> it's like my first memory that comes to mind is Jesse and my Barbie doll. But anyways, John, welcome to Radical Resilience. Thank you so much for being open to sharing your story because your story, it's such an important topic. And we need to talk more. Yeah, we need to talk more about it. So how's it going? It's going. I mean, I I don't have any Barbie dolls that I'm going to be ripping any heads off or (laughs) anything like that. It's not uh, nothing uh, violent to me happening. But uh, certainly, you know, when you're talking about infertility, you're you're talking about a very treacherous road. You're talking about a journey that changes your life. And as I was going through it um, and not finding the male supports that I needed, I knew that you know, I had to do something. And so the book is so far, at least the pinnacle of, uh, of my, uh, of my work, but you know, it's not something that I'm stopping with. It's something that that's a conversation that has to continue. So I think, you know, first of all, I really appreciate you being so open to talk about it because for years, the subject was taboo myself. Um, I was told that I had fertility issues and that my husband and I couldn't conceive naturally after trying. And, um, I was supposed to go for tests and I decided, Hey, we'll just try for the summer. Then I'll go for tests. And I got pregnant and it was beautiful because I didn't need the intervention that they thought. But then at eight weeks I had a miscarriage and that on its own was so traumatic, but no one talks about that. Like in Hollywood or in TV and Getting pregnant is to see it seemed so easy, but it's not for everyone. And I would love to know your story. It's it's interesting that you bring up Hollywood because it's something um, that I talked about in the book and I've talked about in a couple of interviews since. Um, you're seeing more of an awakening when you look at uh, some of the programs that have, have done 
storylines on it, like This Is Us or um, Life in Pieces, but it certainly is not um, normalized by any stretch of the imagination. Um, when we were going through it, um, we had actually a very uh, similar journey. Um, we started um, trying to conceive um, in 2008 and got pregnant in 2009, but eight weeks we lost, uh, we lost baby number one. So we, um, from there, you know, we were, we had already been trying to conceive for so long that um, we were able to get into, uh, to see a professional earlier. Um, usually it's a year, but we were able to get in after, uh, ironically, nine months. Um, but ultimately, you know, we, we had, we were given a diagnosis of unexplained infertility. A couple tests later, we found out that there was a dual factor. Um, for me, I had a low motility in my sperm, not in a red zone, dangerously low, but low enough that it was below the norm. Um, and I started to look at treatments for that. Um, we went through uh, various uh, medical procedures, um, trying letrozole, uh, Clomid, natural. Um, we did an IUI. We did tried a couple different other things and ultimately did IVF in Victoria, British Columbia um, and had our hired our daughter in uh, 2015. And so when, like, what was that moment where you and your wife looked at each other and you had that discussion or that realization that it was time to, you know, drive across the country? It wasn't um, one conversation for sure. Um, like we even, we tried, we, when we did our first uh, procedure of IUI, um, we did it in Winnipeg and we just found that we weren't getting answers to what we needed. Um, we were, we were just sort of given that up, that option of it's up to you of what you want to do next um, after doing our first uh, run. And we said, you know, that, that's not helpful. We need advice. Uh, so we, we, at that point, we had already started to be um, in the support group through uh, the Fertility Matters Canada, um, previously known as the um, Infertility Awareness Association of Canada. Um, and we had heard from some people who were traveling to Calgary, traveling to Toronto, did some research online, saw that people were going to Fargo, going to Cancun, going to Europe for their solution. Um, so we just looked around and found that ultimately Victoria was going to have our um, was going to be the, the best suited for us, um, as it has been actually, as we found out for multiple Winnipeggers. Um, but it wasn't, it was not an easy conversation to have. It's never an easy conversation for anybody to have, but especially what I find for men to be able to ask for help or to, you know, whether you're asking for directions or whether you're something asking for something that's life-changing, you know, men have trouble um, admitting that they have a problem and have even more trouble saying that, you know, I need some guidance. I need outside help on this. We can't, we're problem solvers by nature. So we try to do things ourselves and ultimately, yeah, this isn't something you can do yourself. So it was, um, it was hard, but, and it took multiple conversations, like I said, um, but ultimately we had a consult with a doctor uh, in Victoria and found that, yeah, this is the way we have to do. This is going to be the best way for us to do it. So you just mentioned that there's, people were looking all over the world for the right clinic for you. How did you know, like, what were those things you were looking for in a place to go through this with? Like, what were those key things that made this decision for you with this specific fertility clinic? Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest things was that they were a little bit more 
I don't want to say experimental, but they were a little bit more open in their thinking as to what are the possibilities of the cause of our fertility issues. Um, they had um, a little bit more of an open eye towards, you know, different drug protocols, different treatments, et cetera, um, than a lot of the places across the country. And we didn't want to dip into the States. Um, so, and we just wanted to stay in Canada for it. And it seemed like it was going to be the best spot aside from the, that part of it, being able to go into Victoria and be in an environment that is so calm and so serene, um, say for rainstorms, which we experienced there, um, it was the right place for us to be. I can imagine, I mean, everyone's different, um, but you know, having that conversation of like what you can do naturally and what you need assistance with, what was going on in your head? Um, a million different things. And I, I, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not too much. Um, ultimately, for me, it was, you know, when you're not doing what you should be doing naturally, you know, you're quote unquote behind your friends, you're, um, you know, you, you grew up with the same group of guys and girls, and they start having kids at an early at an earlier time than you and you start to feel like you start to fall behind the same way that if you were not able to land a job right away, or if you weren't moving into a house right away, or getting married right away, and all that kind of thing. Um, you sort of feel these deficiencies, and it's so hard to relate what it feels like, and it's hard for people to understand unless you've gone through it yourself. Um, it's certainly not an experience that I wish on anybody, but it is something that um, it's all—it's it's almost impossible to describe because there's you talk about how it affects you emotionally, financially, your relationship uh, both with your partner changes, your relationship with your family changes, your relationship with your friends change. Um, really, it's, it, it engulfs every part of your being, like even, you know, when you're sitting at work and if you start hearing somebody saying that, you know, someone hits in, uh, sends you an email with an announcement of, hey, I'm going on mad leave, I'm pregnant or whatever, or what have you, it hits you. And it's hard to work around it. It's impossible to work around it. Oh, I'm so sorry you went through that. And my, I mean, not to take away from your story, I had a very different experience. First of all, I'm a different gender, <laughs> number one. And, but I know what you mean because, you know, I, I'm 36 and my friends were starting to have kids and I was ready and we tried and tried. Then my friends started having their second kids and we're still trying. Now we're starting to get tests. We learned that like Shane's sperm camp was a little down, um, but fine. And that then all of a sudden it felt like it was falling on me. And, you know, it's like, well, I have, I, it's, I, and then I see people getting pregnant who like had a one night stand and got pregnant and they're going to raise the kid. And I love that. That's beautiful. But then there's this jealousy and this like pain of like, what is wrong with me? Like I want, I'm ready to be a mom. Like, why is my body not working with me? And like, it's, it's so interesting because then, like you said, you get these announcements and you start getting invited to baby showers and like, you're so, I'm, I knew I was so happy for my friends and I like decided, you know what, I'm going to switch my mindset. I'm just going to celebrate everyone with a baby. When I see a baby at the coffee shop and they smile at me, I'm going to talk to them and I'm just going to welcome that energy in because I like to mix the science with the woo. Like I'm a woo-woo Jew and <laughs> I'm, I'm Jewish and woo-ish and, you know, like, 
I can't tell you what it was or how we got pregnant because we did not try that summer. It was, but, but like you said, being in Victoria where it's all relaxed, we were camping a lot. And honestly, it was the best summer of my life. Like we just lived our life. We went camping, we hung out, there was no pressure. We didn't, you know, we were trying to do anything. We were just doing our thing. And I was like, wow, like, that's so interesting that that happened. Um, and I remember because when I was told that we might need to do IVF, my husband and I talked about the cost of it. The cost of it in Canada is very expensive. And, you know, maybe we can talk a bit about that cost because that's when we decided let's take the summer and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Because I was never gung ho on that. Like at the time I lived in the middle of the mountains, I would have had to drive three hours and for, you know, to get treatment. It is a lot of money. And I thought, you know, I, I, maybe if I lived in Vancouver, it would be different, but for us, there was all these other elements and you guys made this decision to drive across the country. So that a little bit further than I would have to drive, <laughs> but there's that cost element and not everyone has that luxury. So like, I want to talk about that because I know there's some countries that it's like your first round of IVF is free. Yeah. And it, it used to be the case in Quebec that they would for that first round, um, Ontario had something similar, but both programs have gone by the wayside because it's, I mean, they had overwhelming demand for it. Um, but when you, when you talk about the cost and it is, you know, for IUI, it can be, a, you know, it's a couple thousand dollars when you're talking about drugs, you know, it's a, it's in the three figures, but when you're talking about IVF, you're anywhere between 10 and $15,000. The relief that you can get is that depending on how where wherever you're working, depending on the, the wording in your health plan, a lot of plans will not explicitly say that that certain drugs can't be used for fertility procedures, as is the case with us. We were able to save about four thousand dollars as a result of that, but a lot of places are disqualifying that and they aren't providing the funding for that. Um, let alone that this is something that you're that is a private procedure in Canada, which where the health plan health uh, coverage for so many things is provided. And yeah, it's a delayed system, but it's still, and it's not perfect, but it's better. But the way I look at it that I liken it is this, is that someone can say, oh, you know, you can just, you can go and adopt or you can, you can just be happy being the, being the uncle or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I don't need to get my knees operated on. I can get around with a wheelchair. I can get around with a walker. You tell me. Which one, which is the one that, that means more and what, and which is the one that you can't, that you can live with and live without not being able to start a family, not being able to have a natural family for a lot of people. Adoption is yes. It's a, it's a great answer and it's a great opportunity, but for some people, you know, we were sitting in, we looked at adoption and one of the emphasis points that the presenter made was that the person that you're walking down the, down the aisle at her wedding, she isn't biologically yours. And it was a heart wringer. It was horrible to listen to, but there's a, there was an ounce of truth to it. Then for a lot of people, they don't want to go through that adoption process because of the, that unknown that they don't, you know, they don't necessarily have all the, all the, the history presented to them. They don't know, you know, what they have to be watching out for if, the, if there's a history of early death in, the fam- in their family or anything like that. So it's impossible and it's impossible to know everything. Um, and some people choose not to do adoption for that reason. Um, so you can't just say that there are that there's other things you can do other than fertility procedures that's, that should be provided by our government 
the same way that it is for any other surgery. I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be. I completely agree with that. But I want to just take a sidebar for a second because you just actually reminded me of something. So <clears throat> I think like with women, you're more fertile earlier in life. Like I've kind of, I've personally stopped paying attention to that because I've made the decision to not have kids. My, I lost my mother February 23rd, 2021. And when she died, the idea of me being a mom died with her and it hasn't come back. So my husband and I decided that's not what our purpose is in this lifetime. But what you just said about adoption is very interesting. And it got me thinking about, I did you, okay, you don't know this. Well, maybe you do, but I learned that I had a brother because I did a DNA test, ancestry.com. And my dad, when he was younger, his girlfriend got pregnant. He didn't know they broke up or I think, I don't know, they parted ways, but she was only 15. And it's interesting that you say that because he got adopted to like a really fantastic family and the only reason he was on ancestry.com and like, we have like a relationship and like, it's amazing. He's a spitting image of my dad. He looks more like my sister than I do. It's bizarre and brilliant. And I met him in person and he's my husband's age, you know, nine years older than me. But, um, you know, the reason he was there was because he wanted to learn about his genetic makeup. So he found his birth mother years prior and then he did the DNA test and he got connected. He's in Alberta and he got connected to my cousins in Seattle and after a year of them talking, they like, and going back and forth and figuring things out, they realized the only person who's, who's like, who the only person in the family that could be the father of this person um, was my dad. And my, so then they brought me into the mix and I love a good family mystery. And I did a DNA test and we were sure enough, he's my half brother. And like, we, you know, have the same thumb that bends backwards and like walk the same. And like, it's really cool. But when I asked my dad about it, my dad like didn't remember that my dad has like lives with mental health issues and has struggled with addiction. So I don't know what he knows and doesn't know, but he said he never knew that, but it's interesting because the only reason he did all that wasn't necessary to meet my dad, but he wanted to meet someone from our family to learn about the genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting because um, you just got me thinking about that. Cause you talked about walking someone down the aisle that you adopt who's not biologically yours, but also there's that impact on that kid. Cause you know, but also, I mean, everyone has their own journey, like, you know, with what they choose to do and, and everyone, I respect everyone's decision. And, you know, the, I back to the price, sorry, that was just a side, like the story dropped in, but the oh. sidebar. Yes. So I did a DNA test. I have a half brother, everyone, <laughs> Jeff, he's lovely. I've only met him once and like me and his wife talk on Facebook. So what can, like, what are the, I mean, right now there's not very many options. Like I know like fertility clinics for payments, like you can sometimes do make a payment plan. Maybe you take a loan out. I don't really know. I didn't get that far in the journey. So if someone's listening to this and they, they, you know, they need to, they want to go down the similar route to you. What do you recommend that they do? Like where, where should they research? What should they learn? Who should they approach for helping? Cause if, if the only barrier they have right now is financing, what do they do? Well, there's a couple different options. Um, you know, there are, uh, we didn't know about this when we were going through our, pro our process, um, but there are some organizations that provide, for lack of better term, scholarships. They provide uh, funding um, just out of the goodness of their hearts. So there's even an organization in Toronto that, um, that provides funding for Jewish families, but you have to be doing the process in Toronto. Um, there's similar organizations across Canada, US, United Kingdom, everywhere. Um, 
the one thing that the thing that I would recommend is to find your local association, whether it's Fertility Matters, whether it's Resolve, whether it's um, the other organizations that are, that are across the globe, um, and find a local support group. Um, you know, and if there isn't a local support group, go on uh, Facebook and research one of the groups. Um, and what I would say is find both for specifically for gender and find for mixed gender. Um, and one of the one of the saving graces for a lot of the people that I've spoken with, um, both during the book and afterward, is that there are a number of groups that are just for men. Um, there's a lot of there were groups that I was in um, during our journey and afterward where there was a little bit of hostility. Um, you know, there's some because they were it was primarily you know, I would say somewhere between eighty and ninety percent uh, female membership. Um, there were a lot of comments about uh, my husband isn't involved isn't doesn't do this or doesn't do that or that kind of thing. So when you get that that feeling as a male going into those groups, you know, you're not going to be wanting to go much further. Um, but you find you find comfort among your brothers, no questions asked. Um, but I would say that, you know, when 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 I when we went to our supports locally, um, there were a couple other guys that would routinely go. And even though they weren't as vocal as I am, I mean I come from the journalism world, so it's natural for me to be vocal. Um, but just having other men there made it more comfortable for me to keep going there. So um, certainly, you know, find that that uh, that opportunity, but find the, the opportunities for yourself also, because the, the, the path that women go through and the path that men go through are different. The mentality is different. The physicality obviously is different. Um, so there's a, a few different parts to the to that, but it's it's so important for men to be checking in on themselves and to be really aware of what they're feeling and what their emotions are and how they're proceeding, and not to just be robotic and just going along for the ride and just providing the support that they can. That that's what I want to talk. That's a brilliant answer. So, <clears throat> men listening to this, if you and your partner are on this journey, like find the support. Your partner is not going through this alone. You're going through it together and it's a together experience. And yes, you're each individually, you know, going through something separate, but you need to take care of yourself. What are some things you did to take care of yourself and to, Um, you know, help yourself physically and mentally and like the support you found amongst your brothers? Like, how can, how can you support your brothers? How can your friends support you? Like, let's talk about that because this is something that we don't talk enough about. Yeah. It's definitely something that wasn't easy. I mean, for me, I mean, I, it's different. I'm, I'm wired differently. Again, being, a, being in journalism, I, the way that I found comfort and found relief was to broadcast it. And literally, you know, within the first three months of us being part of the, in the support group, I was approached, you know, we know you have experience in journalism. We know that you've done radio for this, that, or the other. Would you feel comfortable going on local radio to talk about it. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Didn't think it was actually going to um, happen anytime soon, but sure enough, I got a call six weeks later that CJOB, uh, local global radio, uh, wanted me to come on uh, a show with Dahlia Kurtz and to tell my story. I did so really trepidatiously and anonymously, but I did it. And I found that the more that I talked the better it felt. And I think that for a lot of guys, you know, they'll say that, you know, that if given the opportunity, they can talk. The, the stereotype, of course, that men don't talk. 
Um, it's about finding that outlet. For me, it was a public outlet. For other people, it's going on it's going on Reddit in an anonymous forum. For other people, it's going on Facebook, it's going on Instagram, or it's going into live support groups, or it's you know going for a drink a, a drink night with uh, with guys who are going through similar experiences. Um, it's just it, you just have to find that outlet that's going to work best for you. Um, certainly, I don't I don't consider my path to be the norm, but you know, it, it, it really was, it, it helped me just to be able to talk. And I talked with, I ended up talking with everybody, you know, I talked with strangers about it who contacted me after I did the, my radio and, and television spots. I talked with journalists. I talked with um, people that, that I, that were, that we were friends with that didn't tell, say, tell us anything. I had a coworkers that out of nowhere started telling me about the experiences. Um, I even had, when we went to our, um, before we went to Victoria, I was working at a marketing agency and I had to tell my clients, hey, guess what? I'm going to be gone for a month. I'm going to be working with you, but I'm going to be two hours behind you. Um, and one of my, and I, and, they, and I asked my VP and, and she said, yeah, you can you know, tell them why you're going. Um, and one of, the, one of my clients, to his credit, came out and said, we went through the same thing. We had both of our kids through IVF. Um, so it's amazing how when you have that conversation, whatever whatever way you have it, um, it's amazing what doors it opens. But don't ultimately you just have to start talking about it. Talk with your partner, talk with your family, talk with everybody, or as 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 many or as few people as you want. But getting it out of your system is the most important thing to do. And that's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing because that's actually why the Global Resilience Project exists and why the Radical Resilience Podcast exists. So it's a created a space for people to share their stories. And so if you are going through this and you'd like to share your story, you know, we invite you to submit it. You can go to our website or in the show notes and submit your story. But I think you touched on something and I want to talk about this before we wrap up our chat today, because I think it's important. I, I, I'm a Brene Brown fan and, um, you know, there's a lot of shame. Like people feel shame when you can't do it naturally. Like, and I think, I think it's important to, to just talk about that. Um, not saying you felt it. I don't, I don't know how exactly you felt, but like what, what you're doing is inviting people to find a support group or to Google anonymously or to come on our podcast, whatever it might be and everything in between, but like knowing you are not alone and it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to go through the feelings like don't push them down and find that support, whatever it might be. Um, and I'd love to know, like, I normally ask a higher level question of like general advice, but I think this is a good question to end on with John and like, you can kind of give whatever advice you'd like, but what advice do you have for men who are feeling shame about this process or embarrassed? I think that ultimately men need to know that it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something in 99% of the cases that you did, you know, getting, playing sports and taking a ball to those regions, um, most of the time will not impact your fertility. Some of your, some bad habits might, you know, like having greasy burgers and that kind of thing, but it's nothing that's in those situations is nothing that's beyond repair. If you're born with low sperm counts, that's not your fault. If you're born with low motility or no motility or no, or horrible morphology, that's not your fault. That's the most important thing to understand is that it's not something where you are, where you're, 
you know, one of the quote unquote stupid things that we did earlier in life is the be all and end all of your fertility journey. Um, and just know that there, that's whatever way you go, voice yourself in your, in your relationship. You have a voice, your wife has a voice, your partner has a voice. You have to know that what you're doing and what you're going forward with is the path that you want to do. If you're not comfortable doing something, and I've had, and I've had the conversation with people who have said that they are not comfortable doing IVF, or they're not comfortable having doing adoption, or they're not comfortable going to a surrogate. You have to know what you want to do, and you have to be able to voice it, because you're going to regret it if you if you something later in life if you if you do something um, or don't do more, especially don't do something. You just have to be to be to know that whatever you're going to do is what you want to do, and it's what you truly want to do, both as an individual and as a couple. And there is. It, it's all, and it's so hard to find your voice, but it's something that is so essential and you're going to feel so much better. You'll go through some tears. You'll go through all the, the weak moments. You'll go through all the, the stomach wrenching feelings, but you come out on the other side so much better. Oh my God. That's beautiful. Listen to John. He knows what he's talking about. And because he's a journalist, he puts his words together so beautifully. <laughs> I think that's really brilliant advice and it's beautiful. And I, you know, I really appreciate you being so open with us and our community. Where can people find you if they want to dive in a bit deeper into you and your wisdom and experience? Yeah, absolutely. The best way is to connect with me on Twitter at John Walkman or on Instagram at John underscore Walkman. Um, all my books, um, most important one, of course, being uh, about infertility um, are up on Amazon and available everywhere. Um, and please do not hesitate to DM me. I, I have, spoken with so many people and I, I enjoy, I truly enjoy the opportunity to speak with it, with individuals and to help them along their way. So please do not hesitate to reach out. Yeah. You hear that out there? You, you, if this resonates, reach out to him. And you know what, honestly, like I made a post the other day and John and I just met, even though I've known like the people in his life for my whole life. Um, and he, I made a post that had nothing to do with fertility, but just had to do with mental health stuff. And he reached out He's a good soul. And I'm so honored that you took the time to connect with me and to be here. And thank you to everyone for tuning in to another episode of Radical Resilience. It's okay to not be okay. And remember that you are resilient. That's a wrap for another episode of Radical Resilience. Do you feel inspired by this episode? You can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and connect with us to join the conversation at IamResilient.info. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. And you, my friend, are resilient. Radical Resilience is a podcast created by The Resilience Project.